You guys doing all right today? All right, praise God. Uh, we got a lot to run through today, so let's just go ahead and dive right in. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of 1 Corinthians. It's going to be in chapter 2, verse 11 today. If you don't have a Bible, we got someone in front of you, and a, a chair is in front of you. Feel free to keep that and take it home. That's our gift to you today. Um, and if, uh, if, that doesn't, if that's not cool with you, you're like, eh, that's too small, I can't read it. You got the scripture on the screen behind me, and if you're one of those Facebook junkies, and I know you are because I see your posts, you can look on the uh, Facebook page or impactcitychurch.com. The scripture of the day should have just posted on there as well. So as you turn there, let me say this. I believe, and we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians since January, I believe that this next portion of Corinthians is very beneficial to us. I believe that it is beneficial to us because in the world that we live in today, it seems to have a hard time understanding the heart of God. I think for most of us uh, as Christians, we, we struggle with that too. But the world in general has a hard time understanding the heart of God. Many of us struggle with that, to be honest with you. I mean, I know I struggle with that at times, um, especially in times of uh, extreme amounts of stress. In my life, I start to say, God, why is this happening? Or, God, why doesn't it make sense for me to do this when your word says not to? But the world says that I should do it because it just looks and just mathematically feels better. We all do. We all might struggle with that a little bit, especially the world outside of the body of Christ. They struggle with it. Especially, I mean, straight up, the world struggles with understanding the reasons why us Christians do the things that we do. I mean, for instance, whenever a young woman in the church says that she is saving herself for marriage, the church should applaud that, but the world does not. I mean, the world looks at her like, why would you do that? Like, just, just be with someone that you love. Follow your heart is the Disney term, right? The world applauds stuff like that. But, you know, even you see celebrities, Tim Tebow, you know, Carrie Underwood does it like that. The world does not understand why the church says that's not right to do. And biblically, it says it's not right to do. Or when a young family says, you know what, we are going to, to, to sell our home. We're going to move away. Maybe we're going to go overseas for a year or so and do something crazy. We're going to take up a residency and in a mission field somewhere overseas, and we're going to sell everything we have so we can afford to go do that. And for a year or two or three, whatever it is, we're going to devote our lives to the mission of God overseas. That is beyond belief for people of the world. Or when the young guy says, you know what, I, I know I'm working really well. I know I'm doing really good where I'm at in my job, but I feel it a need of mine to leave my job, my, my main place of employment, and to become a minister of the gospel somewhere. Like the world says you do not leave your three-figure salary job to go do something that you might not even get paid. The world says do not do that. It's wrong. But the Bible says if that's in your heart and you're called to it, you better do it. You see, there's, there's man's wisdom and there's God's wisdom. We talked about this two weeks ago. That there's, there's a wisdom of man. There's, there's what man says is right, and then there's what God says is right, and, and what you have is this conflict of what man says and what God says. And there are things that this world are say, that they might say is right and true, but they're completely wrong in Scripture, and there's things in Scripture that say are right and true, but by the world standards are dumb, 
crazy, and just wrong. So in the text today where we're looking at, we're going to look over that, and Paul's going to explain why that is and the effects of that truth for us today. So if you have your Bibles again, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to be starting in verse 11. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11. Paul says this. It says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Pay close attention to verse 14 and the rest of the verses, because what he's going to talk about is those who are outside of following Jesus, those who are not followers of Christ. He calls them natural men, natural people. Verse 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, which are those who are in the Spirit of God, who has the Spirit of God living in them, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who understands the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. I'm going to kind of hold y'all's hand. We're going to walk through this. Lots of uh, things to unpack in these few verses. Um, just kind of verse by verse going to go through this. And I believe that when we understand this, when I give you the application for your lives, it's going to make that much more sense. So let's look at verse 11. Just for who knows the thoughts who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in them? So basically what that means is that no one can know your thoughts except you. Now, I read this scripture and I'm a little off to say, like, I don't know if that's true because if you ask my wife, she knows my thoughts like the back of her hand. She knows them all the time. Like yesterday we were at a comic book store and I saw a pair of Batman Converse and I'm actually wearing them right now. Check them out. And so I was so excited about these Batman Converse. And she saw me looking at them, and I'm like, no, we don't really need them. I don't need to spend that much money. You know, I don't need, I don't, so, you know, I can do without it. And the whole time she goes, baby, if you want them, you should get them. I'm like, I don't know. She goes, baby, you know, you know, that's a good deal. You should probably get those Converse, you know. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go get the Converse, right? I was so hyped up. Or if you ask her right now, like, what, like, what am I thinking about right now, babe? What am I thinking about right now? Probably Chewies or uh, going to the gun range or something like that, yeah. Something like that, right? I don't know what she said, but it was funny. Um, something like that. Like, she knows me because, because she's around me all the time, but, but anyone else would not know what I'm thinking about, more and more likely. I couldn't ask Stephen, like, Stephen, you don't know what I'm thinking about right now. You don't know what I'm thinking about right now. Like, you don't, you don't know these things about me. And it, what Paul is saying is that it is the same thing, the same concept with God. No one knows what God is thinking about except for God. I mean, ain't that the truth? I mean, sometimes we look at, at like, the results of something that we were praying for, and we're like, God, I don't understand why that happened. God does. God understands. He understands everything. 
Who knows the ways of God except for God? Now, there are thoughts. Now, what are the thoughts of God, though? Like, if God, only God knows his thoughts, what are those thoughts? Like, how do, we, how do we understand those thoughts? Well, those thoughts are really the heart of God. Basically, they're the heart of God. The innermost thoughts of the creator of the world, God's wisdom, are the most intimate thoughts of his heart. The most intimate parts of God. Those are the thoughts of God that Paul is talking about here. And what Paul is saying, that there is only one person, one being, one entity in the world that can know the heart of God, and that is the Spirit of God. Y'all turning with me on this? That is the Spirit of God. Paul talks about this. Jesus talks about this in John 14, 26. You don't have to turn there, just listen. It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit from the Father, will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So what he's saying is that, that there is a Spirit that is coming to you. The Holy Spirit will come and He will teach you all things. He's going to dwell in you. He's going to teach you these things. The way that you can understand the heart of God is to have the Spirit of God living inside of you because the Spirit of God is the only thing that can teach you the heart of God. Y'all track with me on this, right? told you it's a lot. We're going to get through this. So just to recap, just a quick question. Is there any way, any other way that we can know the heart of God? Answer is no. No. No Beth Moore book will teach it to you. No Jesus Calling devotional will teach you the heart of God. Nothing like that. The greatest Billy Graham sermon will not teach you the heart of God. Only the Spirit of God can teach you the heart of God. The only way that you and I can know the heart of God is through the teaching of the Holy Spirit when God reveals that teaching to you. So to recap, no. The only way you can know that is through the Spirit of God. Now, you might push back and say this. I know some of you guys are really good with your Bibles there. You might say, well, Romans 1, like in Romans 1, Paul talks, and he talks about the uh, Spirit one twenty that if we were to simply look at the nature around us, that we would know things about God. That God reveals himself through beautiful sunrises, the, the thousands of stars, that God knows that. And in the book of Romans, it's true. It says that if you look at nature, if you look at the things around us, that you're going to learn a few things about God when you look at nature around us. One is that there is a God. That you will look at nature and you will say, wow, there is a God. The other thing is that you will learn that he has invisible attributes. That he is working outside of your mind and you cannot see he has those attributes. You will learn that he is eternal as well. That for the thousands upon thousands of years, he created these things. He has to be eternal. And the other thing you learn is that he is divine in nature. That this God created these most extraordinary things. He has to be divine. So how is it that we can look at nature? We can look at the stars in the sky, the great mountain ranges of Colorado, the vastness of the oceans around us, and we can know so much about God. Like, is Paul contradicting himself? No, he's not. See, what you're going to learn is that in Bible language, in Bible terms, there are two kinds of revelation. We have a general revelation and we have a special revelation. Romans 1, that's general revelation. And what Paul is saying is that every single person in the face of the earth will have the opportunity to look at the world, look at the sky, and when they see it, they will know that there has to be a creator. That there has to be a reason why this was all uh, put together. That when they look at all of that, they will look at the, 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 the nature around there, 
And they will not say, oh my gosh, they will not look at the beautiful, you know, I remember when we were at the aquarium one time, and this ugly looking grouper, uh, like, strand bias, and I told Sarah, like, God, God is amazing, right? Like, look how beautiful this thing is. You see the scales and the details. Like, no one looks at that and says, what a beautiful collection of cells. Like, no one says that. No one looks at the mountains of the, of the Grand Canyon and say, what a great compilation of soil and rock. No one looks at the stars and say, what a great bunch of great balls of gas burning billions of miles in the sky. Like, no one says that, like Pumbaa did. Like, no one says that. No one says that. You know what they say? Wow. And in that moment of your awestruck wonder, you say to yourself, there has got to be, there has got to be some other reason besides a Big Bang Theory that formed all of this. And in that moment, you start to question your existence. And in that moment, you start to say, there has got to be something more to this life. That is general revelation. Everyone gets that. If you haven't got that yet, go outside. You know, go out to the country. You'll get that real quick. If you go to the Exodus Project, you'll get that real quick out there. Special revelation is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians, though. He says that you can know that there is a God. You can know that he has invisible attributes. You can know that he is eternal in life. You can know that he is divine in nature. You can know all of these things about God by simply looking at, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, the animals, the water. You can know all those things about God, but you cannot know the, the most intimate moments of God's heart, his heart, his wisdom, his intimate thoughts outside of the Holy Spirit. You can know there's a God, but you don't know his heart until the Holy Spirit comes into you. Through the Holy Spirit of God revealing this to you is the only way you can do it. That is special revelation. It's special to you. It's different besides general revelation. It's given to us. It is special. And what Paul is fixing to teach us here in the next few verses is that there are some things that we can only learn through this special revelation. And the first is this, if you take notes, is that the people who know the Spirit of God and have the Spirit of God living in them, I'm sorry, the people who do not know the Spirit of God cannot understand the heart of God. People who do not know and have the Spirit of God do not understand the heart of God. The second thing is is that Paul turns to the church, he says, and because you know the heart of God, and because you know the Spirit of God, you do understand the heart of God. And you have no excuse not to. you will catch that. If you don't know the Spirit of God, if you don't have it inside you, you don't understand why Christians do what they do. But because you do have the heart of God in you, because you have the Spirit of God living inside you, you understand why we do this. It's what we call conviction. It should be there. And because you do, you have no excuse. Let me show you what I mean. Look at Skip, uh, skip down to verse 14. Verse 14 says this. It says, the natural person, that's the person outside of the, 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 the Spirit of God. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So just to be sure we understand, the natural person, someone who is not living with God, has not surrendered their life to Jesus, does not have the Spirit of God living inside him, he does not understand the things of God. And we were all at one point natural people before knowing Jesus. So before you came to know Jesus, you had no understanding of why 
Jesus does what he does. You have no understanding why the church does what it does. This whole community thing, this whole, this whole idea of what does it mean to be selfless in your, your marriage and, and the way you, uh, you know, interact with people, is, it's kind of weird to you. So that's what he's saying. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of God. Underline that. The natural person does not accept the things of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He doesn't understand because the Spirit teaches that to them. And he doesn't understand that. The reason why people do not understand why a Christian would sell their car to move into the ministry and do stuff like that, or to uh, wait to, to save themselves before marriage, the reason why they don't understand that is because God has not given them that revelation. Because they're not in the Spirit of God. They're still going by the Spirit, and the, the, the wisdom of man. That's why we meet so many people at work. We meet people at school, people in our family, uh, back, you know, wherever we're at, that if we were to ask them, do you believe in God? More than likely, they're going to say yes, because this is the Bible Belt, and everyone and their grandma believes in God down here. And everyone and their grandma understands that you got, you, you got to do something right in your life. you got to know God. Did you know that in the early 1900s, it was just assumed that you knew God? Now, there's no question of which God. It's like, do you know God? Yes, I am a, a Christian. I'm a whatever type of religion you are. So you ask them, do you know God? And they say, yeah, I know God. And they ask them, well, would you say that you're a Christian? And they're probably going to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. That's general revelation. They know that because they know morally they probably should know that. They probably saw a beautiful sunrise one day and said, there's got to be a creator, there's got to be a God. But if you were to ask them stuff with a little bit more detail, like, well, are you saving yourself for marriage? They're going to say, no. <laughs> no. Why do they do that? Well, uh, are, you, are, are you tithing to the church? No. I don't even go to church. Well, are you making adjustments in your life to, to you know, are, are you changing things in your life? You're making adjustments the way Zacchaeus did we learned that last week. Are you making adjustments in your life so you can see Jesus more, more, more clearly in your life? Are you, are you doing those things? No. Well, do you pray? No. Oh, that's silly. No one believes in that. I mean, do you place Jesus first in all areas of your life? No. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Oh, I don't really, really believe in Jesus. There is a God. See? Because they only have a general revelation, they might think that they're good. They might think they know God. But to have a special revelation means that everything changes. They do not have a special revelation. And therefore, they do not understand the importance of those things. Now, Paul shifts the conversation back to us. and Look at verse 11 again. Paul's going to tell us how we should live because we do have the Spirit of God. Verse 11 says this, For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. See, lost people don't understand God because they have not had the Spirit of God living inside them as the redeemed, but we do. We understand that. If you are a Christian, I shouldn't say we because I'm not sure about everyone in the room, but if, if you are a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you should understand why these things are that important. Because you understand the heart of God. 
Verse 13 says this. It goes on to say what we should do. It says, and we impart these words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. So in short, Paul is saying, because you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, because you confess your love to Jesus Christ, you confess your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Messiah of your life, then you will speak the Word of God in your life. You will think the same way that God does, and you will live your life as a representation of that change in your life. You're going to walk the walk, and you're going to talk the talk because you understand the importance of all of that. Now, that should be a wake-up call for many of us in the church today, amen? Because many of us tend to get kind of null and into our routines, and we will forget the fact that we have to speak the, you know, speak the talk and walk the walk, and we have to think the way God does, and we should be living the way God does. And for a while, though, we start thinking, well, it's okay because God will forgive me, and that's true, but it doesn't represent a, the fullness of the gospel in your life to people around you. Does that, you guys, you guys that make sense there? If you're a believer in Christ Jesus... You should have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Your life should be reflecting the things of Christ, the things that God died for, sent His Son to die for on the cross, so that we can live for. It's that simple. If you follow something, you follow it to the max. Now, in closing, I want to give you all two practical applications that we need to understand in order, in light of these scriptures, in order to make our lives just kind of reflect these scriptures. If you're taking notes, the first is this. Because lost people do not have the Spirit of God living in them, because they don't have the Spirit of God living in them, do not expect them to act like the Spirit of God is living in them. Like, if you know someone, like the Scripture tells us that the natural person will not understand the heart of God. And because they don't understand, do not be surprised when people you know who are not Christians act like they're not Christians. You you all get what I'm saying? I grew up on a ranch, and every time we would, you know, we go horseback riding or anything, I always wonder, why don't we ride the cows? Because, you know, why not, you know? Because a cow, you don't ride a cow, unless you're from UT. I mean, like, you don't ride a cow, you, you, you herd a cow, because a cow doesn't make a noise like a horse, and a horse doesn't make a noise like a cow. A pig doesn't, you know, crow like a rooster, because why? It's not a rooster. In the same aspect, you shouldn't expect someone who's not a Christian to act like a Christian. It doesn't make sense, right? I mean, I mean y'all, 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 y'all agree with me on that? We should not be surprised. So listen, this is going to be really hard for many of us to understand this. But you've got to let people off the hook. You've got to give them some slack. The church has, come, has had a bad, bad rap for condemning people and pointing fingers at people who aren't even Christians to begin with. I can't believe she's doing that in her life. Can you see what she's doing? Can you see what she wore to church this Sunday? Can you believe he's doing that in his life? And they're not Christians, so they don't understand the reason why you should be doing that. Instead of being mad at these people, you should be loving on them. Listen, if you're going to be that type of Christian who points fingers at other people who aren't even Christians to begin with, you're going to have a really hard time with, uh, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says that we should be ambassadors of Christ. You can have a really hard time with that because if you can't even be around that without getting angry and frustrated with someone who doesn't even understand it, you're going to have a hard time with that. I, I, I challenge you with this. Instead of being angry at people, love on them. Love on them. You know, come to think of it, 
Jesus never yelled at prostitutes. Jesus never yelled at the, at the, at the, the tax collector. Jesus never yelled at, at the sinners and the people who he saw. He loved on them. He loved on them. So next time you're out in your block and you're walking your dog and you see your neighbors drinking beer watching the Dallas Cowboys whoop some butt on TV, don't look at them with your nose up and walk past them. Love on them. And, and maybe you have a hard time being around that. I'm not saying to associate yourself with stuff that might make you fall. But love on them. Maybe go home and pray. Maybe send them over something to go with their game. You know what? I'm going to send them some chips and queso or something. I'm going to do something like that. I'm going to do something fun and nice for them. Love on them. And live your life in such a way that they see Christ in the way you live. And let God do the rest of the job, which is the job of the Holy Spirit to do the work of revealing himself to those people. It's not our job to go around and save the world. It's our job to simply show the love of Christ and God does the work through us. And then one day you might have the opportunity when they say, hey man, why are you so happy? Why are you so, you know, great? Why, why is everything going so good? You can say to yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm like that because let me tell you what God did in my life. Let me tell you about a man named Jesus. That's what you need to do. Second thing, the second application we can have in our life is this. That the natural man does not know the heart of God, but church, you know the heart of God. If you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, you're in the church, you should know the heart of God at some point. You should understand that. And because you know the heart of God, you must live with that heart of God living inside of you. It's, it's not optional at this point. It's going to overrun your heart. When the Spirit of God is inside of you, you're going to feel conviction for your sins. You're going to feel a need to reach out with compassion to people and do something nice for them. You're going to feel that the heart of Jesus is living inside of you. And naturally, you're going to emanate that heart back out to the people of the world who do not know Jesus. So simply, if you have the heart of Christ, if you understand it, live like it. Live like it. And we can choose, we can choose to have God's wisdom every day of our life. We have got to choose that. It, 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 every time we come up to a decision in life, we have got the choice to do man's wisdom or God's wisdom. We have got to always choose God's wisdom. That's understanding the heart of God. And this applies in everything of our life, from our finances to our moral choices to the way we, we interact with people, our relationships. You've got to choose the wisdom of God in all situations. And there's a prime example of this. I'm going to go there, and so just hold on to your butts, like, like they say in Jurassic Park. I'm going to shock you for a moment. There's one place in our lives that we have, the, the, probably every day we have got to choose the wisdom of God in our lives versus the wisdom of man. And that's in our marriages. For those of you who aren't married, just take notes, sweetheart. You're going to need this when you get older, okay? In America today, there is one divorce approximately every 36 seconds. That means there's been a lot of divorces since I started preaching right now. That is nearly 2,400 divorces per day. 1,600, uh, I mean 16,800 divorces per week and 876,000 divorces per poor per year in America. That's a lot of divorces. The average length of a marriage 
that ends in divorce is eight years. That's the average length, eight years. Eight years. The average age is 30, by the way. So, you know, you're close to 30. You've been married more likely, like you're like me and Sarah. You got married when you were like 1920. You know, not in 1920, but when you were 19 or 20, you got married. And about age 30, you start hitting that wall. Let me tell you, the first nine to ten years of our marriage was really good. And not that we're bad, like right now we're not bad, but we have to work for it. Every single day we have to work for it. I have to watch what I say every single day. She's not as captivated by me anymore. I don't know what it is. Like, we have to work for it. Church, in your marriage, you will have a major conflict at some point. I don't know if it's going to be the fact that you have to, that you're building a house and you're fighting over what is going to go into the house. I don't know if your major conflict is going to be that you find out that one of your spouses has been uh, not, you know, you know, talking to someone else. I don't know if your moral conflict is going to be whether or not, you know, if, if your kid gets sick and the, the financial strain comes on you, if your business flops, you will have some type of huge conflict in your marriage. And it's at that point that you can choose to handle that conflict through the wisdom of man or handle it through the wisdom of God. Now, I'm not going to fault you if you're not a Christian and you handled it with the wisdom of man because that's what seemed right. It seems right. Like, you know what, this, 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 this major conflict in my life, the perfect thing, the right thing for me to do is to simply leave. I'm not going to fault you for that because that's what makes sense to you because you're not a Christian and honestly, you don't know better. But if you are a Christian, you must always go with God's wisdom in this. For the Christian, divorce is never the option. Sarah and I don't even say the word in our home. We don't give it life. We work through things. It's not an option because the wisdom of God says it's not an option. And then we can debate whether or not there is reasons for divorce within Christian covenant marriage. That's a whole nother sermon for another day. And if you want to debate that with me, fine, but you better bring theological you know, backgrounds and biblical you know, references to why you believe that you can't do that. And we'll have a go around about that over coffee or enchiladas. But we're not going to do that here today. The point I'm making is simply this. Man's wisdom says to leave for any reason. God's wisdom says to stay because I am the reason. You stay because God has anointed this. You stay because God says to stay. That is why you do that. In marriage, we are, we are a reflection of the heart of God. If you're in marriage, you understand the heart of God, and you know that your marriage is a reflection of the gospel, the relentless pursuit of a sinner who does not deserve what you have to give, but yet you pursue him anyway. And when the other person rep- uh, reciprocates that love, then everyone is satisfied. The endless grace of forgiveness in marriage cannot be toppled over by any major conflict. Self-sacrifice in a relationship for the better of the other person is why you are married. That's the biblical definition of marriage. That someone loves someone else so much that just like Jesus gave his life up for the church, they're willing to give their life up for someone else. God's Wisdom says that's natural. Man's wisdom says that's the dumbest thing in the world. You better think about yourself. You better make sure you're happy. 
And if you're not happy, you better get out of there. Man's wisdom, God's wisdom. Church, if you're a follower of Christ, you better be following God's wisdom. We've got to. We've got to be following the wisdom of God. We've got to be walking in the steps of Christ so that the world around us sees Jesus through our lives. And listen, don't fault those who are not Christian for living the way they are, but instead love on them. Pray for them. Serve them the way Christ served those who were not following him. Be a living sacrifice for them so that in hope that they might see the gospel in you, that they might see and that God might reveal himself to them through your love, through your service, and through your actions, and live a life of the sincerity of God as a living example of his heart.